guys for having me. It is a pleasure uh, to be able to be here with you and an honor to be able to break open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, it's been a great time of worship, and I thank you uh, for that. We're going to continue worshiping, so if you have uh, your Bibles, I hope you do, please go ahead and uh, be turning to the book of Mark. Uh, book of Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and as you're going there, I thought I would share with you uh, the, the text that I got uh, from your pastor letting me know exactly how this thing should play out. Um, <laughs> Here is your outline, his words, not mine. This is a biblical text. So right from the start, we are going to be in the Bible. Uh, We are in Mark chapter 9. I've got that part I've got accomplished so far. Uh, This is what it means. We're we're headed that direction. I'm going to kind of unpack it for us a little bit and hopefully bring some good application from that. Uh, Point number three, your pastor is so awesome, his words, not mine. (laughs) I will say this. Keith Myers is a much smarter man than I will probably ever be. Uh, so with that being said, it is, I'm, I'm humbled to be standing here today because I think very highly of, of Keith. He's an incredible friend, incredible man of God. Um, I'm sure that you guys are just as equally blessed to have him as I am to call him friend. Um, then it says, tell him a little bit about your church plant, which I'm going to hopefully do at the end, but I'm not going to make it part of the message because I, I don't want to like mess up perhaps what God might be doing with someone. By, by going straight into, okay, now forget all that Bible stuff and let me talk to you about Baltimore. So I'm going to kind of wrap up the message, give you guys an opportunity if you feel that to respond in some way to do so. And then I'm going to jump up and just share a couple of minutes about uh, where God's uh, calling me and, and Adam uh, Mutasib. And then lastly, it says, Jesus is good. His word, his word is true. Trust him and follow him. And hopefully by the end, uh, I, will have, I will have done that and directed you to Jesus. So um, with that being said, we are in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. We're beginning with verse 2. It's probably a really, really familiar passage to most of you guys, uh, but stay with me because uh, I think there's something to be learned. It says in verse 2, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them or transformed before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as that no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I love it when the, verse, when the Bible gives you a glimpse into somebody like that. Verse 6, really, he's just like spitting out of the mouth because he's so scared he doesn't know what to say. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, asking what this rising from the dead might have meant. Pray with me. Father God, we gather today to make much of you, to glorify you. That is our first and primary focus here today is just to make much of you, to honor you, to worship you, and to lift you up high, God. And we pray that whatever is done here today in whichever way we choose to worship, whether it's through our ties or through the word or through the, the song, God, I pray that as we worship together, God, that you are pleased and, and that you find favor with us, God. Lord, I now just humbly ask, God, that you would show up today. Lord, that you would speak 
that you would not just speak to this crowd, but God, that you would speak to me, that you would minister to me, God, that you would challenge me. God, equip us. But more than anything, Lord, we pray that today might be the day that someone might be led to the foot of the cross. God, call someone today to the foot of the cross. We pray these things in your name. Amen. They called it Prayer Mountain. That's what they called it. Um, a couple of years ago, I, was, I had the opportunity to be able to go to India, and it was the first time I'd ever gone there. I went with one of our pastors who, who goes there quite frequently, and I went, and from, even before we even like, landed in, in India, uh, the pastor told me, he said, hopefully if there's time, uh, we're going to get to go to Prayer Mountain. And so I'd heard all these things. I'd heard from people who'd gone on the trip before, Prayer Mountain is the place to be. So I was kind of getting like really you know, jazzed about this whole idea of Prayer Mountain, not really knowing what to expect. Um, and so we finally got in India, and we'd been there for a few days. And, and Michael told me, or the pastor Michael, he told me, he said, hey, tomorrow I've talked to everybody, and I think we're going to be able to clear the morning schedule out. We're going to be able to go to Prayer Mountain in the morning. And I was like, yes, awesome. I can't wait. This is so exciting, right? And so we woke up the next day. We woke up. The sun hadn't even come out yet. We got up. It was so dark outside. We got our clothes on. I'm just putting on stuff. I'm not really paying attention. I'm putting stuff on. And we walk out into the streets. And even though it's that early in the morning, already the streets are beginning to come alive. It's not even daylight yet, but already the shopkeepers are beginning to, to bring up their windows and, and put out their goods and put out their fruits and their vegetables and their handmade crafts. And, and already the school children are beginning their long trek to school. And so they're walking to school and, and in a place that looks absolutely filthy and nasty and disgusting. Here are these school children walking to school in the most pristine white outfits you've ever seen. They were just beautiful to walk down the street uh, looking that way. It was about an hour before all of a sudden the random animals just start walking through the streets. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to another country. Uh, that's qu quite common, I think, in a lot of places. Uh, but in India, it's, it's insane. There are cows and chickens and goats and dogs, and they're just wandering the streets, and cows will come up and just start eating all the produce off of someone's shelf that they worked so hard to put there. You know, and he's like eating it. They're just smacking the cow. I'm like, you know... If you lock that thing up, <laughs> but no, they just let them all roam free. About 30 minutes after we've been sitting there on the street corner, all of a sudden our taxi pulls up, and I call it a taxi. It's a golf cart with walls built on it. And we set out for our 30-minute trek to Prayer Mountain. That's about the extent of the trip. We finally get there, and out of just the dust of this land, rises this massive mountain and they're like that's prayer mountain like, oh man this is so cool and we got to the bottom and we began to to hang out to hang out with the, the villagers there at the bottom and as soon as we got out of the the taxi all of them were like oh white people and they just come rushing out of their homes and it's like we're on display like some of them it's like i never i didn't know they really exist it's like bigfoot you know and i think there's one right here and so they, they, they come and they talk to us and they hang on us a little bit and we say that we're going to Prayer Mountain and people start like coming out to go with us. And we, we start up the mountain as about four or five of us, but about halfway up the mountain, I look back and there's like 30, 40 people just trekking up the mountain. It's like the whole village has come out to go with us. And we're climbing up, and it's rather steep. It's a rather steep mountain. And it's just rocks and rubble and, and sticks and briars and all this kind of crazy stuff. So you're kind of meandering, zigzagging up the mountain. And I'm thinking to myself, 
Danny, you do not bring appropriate footwear to climb a mountain. And that's what I'm thinking, literally. And as I say that, kids are just running up beside me, going just full force, wearing no shoes at all, with no care. They're just booking it right up the mountain. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm here. And as I say that, Pastor Samuel, the pastor of India, up front, he looks back and he goes, Brother Danny! Thick, thick accent. I can't do it justice. He says, Brother Danny, watch out for cobras. And I, and I go, <laughs> and then I realize, wait. I'm the only person that chuckled at that joke. I thought that was a great joke. And it dawns on me, maybe it wasn't a joke. It's not a joke. Oh my gosh. So now I'm not only concerned about my footwear, but I'm stepping like this on every single rock. I'm like making sure that I'm not going to get bit, you know, that we're not going to have to pull a, a paw and all of a sudden kill me because I've been snake bit, you know. And So I get up to the top of the mountain. And I look out at this amazing view, this gorgeous, beautiful view. And right off the bat, I'm just, I'm blown away by just God's handiwork. You know, I just look out there and I just think to think that the creator of the universe did this not just to make much of him, but to, to bless his people. God's amazing creation. I'm just looking at it and all of a sudden, this group of like 30 or 40 people just begin to break into song. And it's so beautiful. I'm sitting there, and I, and I don't know the language. I don't know the words to this song, but I find myself trying to mumble along because I, like, I want to be a part of this, you know? And so I'm trying to, to mimic the sounds that I'm hearing, but it doesn't matter. It's the most glorious thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's beautiful. And I don't know what they're saying, but I'm telling you, it was the most worshipful tune I have ever heard. And then Samuel asks everyone to sit and he opens up God's word and he begins to read. I don't know where he was at. I don't know if he had three points in a poem. I don't have any clue what he read. But there was sincerity and warmth and seriousness and understanding of what it was that he was reading to these people. And without saying any intelligible word that I could possibly fathom, I sat there and I was blown away and I thought this might be one of the most remarkable messages I've ever heard. And after all of that, he closed his Bible and the people in unison, nobody instructed them to do it, just in unison, they all said, Amen, 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 Amen. And I thought, I don't want to leave this place. I mean, nothing crazy happened. It wasn't like, you know, somebody started, like, performing miracles. There weren't mass fallouts of people. It wasn't like something like that. It was just this very real understanding that this is a holy place, and this is holy ground, and we are a holy people. This is God's holy word. We serve a holy God. And it was an appropriate understanding of that, and I saw it. And God was manifest and real and moving and present in that group of people. And so as I tell you about Prayer Mountain, I, I think about that with fondness. I think about it as this moment where that I will always take with me, that I'll never, ever, ever forget. And I, I, I see that moment, and I think God showed up in such a real, tangible way. It's one of those evidences of my faith that somebody could give me all the realization or all the rationalizations in the world, and I would say, you're 
stupid because I've experienced God. I know that God's real. I know that God is present because he's talked to me. He spoke to me. He's been there. And, and it's one of those moments like Prayer Mountain that I carry with me. Amen. You can't trick me anything. He's, I know it, that he is real. But even after all of that, I read this. And I think to myself, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I can't fathom this. I mean, we could have stayed up there on Prayer Mountain for the whole rest of the, of the live long day. And, and I can't fathom what it must have been like to be Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John to have walked up on this mountain and been there with their, with their Jesus, with their rabbi, with their master, and to see him all of a sudden in a twinkling of an eye caught up in all of his glory, transformed. And for the first time, for the first time, these men have been following him for about three years now. They know everything about him. They know the way his mannerisms, they know what he's going to say. They know that he's cranky before his first cup of coffee. And they know everything about him. But all of a sudden, some of you guys, I lost you on that. You're like, Bible, coffee, heretic. No. They know everything about him. But for the first time ever, they get a glimpse of Jesus, not in his humanity, but in his divinity. And it's not just a small glimpse. He is transformed in front of their eyes. Dazzling white. In one of the other Gospels it says that so white that you can barely look upon him. He's just like glowing with this brilliance of light. And it says that his clothes are so white that, that no, one in the, in, no one in the world could have bleached them that way. Ty can't do it. It's just like, it's like oh my gosh. And they look... And not only is there Jesus, the, the Messiah King, in all of His full glory transformed before them, but they see Moses and Elijah. And I always think that's the craziest part of the story because it doesn't tell us how they know. You know? It's, it, it had to be just this revelation from God. There's not Instagram. You can't troll Facebook. You know, there's not, they're not wearing, hello, my name is. You know, they're just like, but it's Moses and Elijah. And they know. They know. And it's not by accident that it's Moses and Elijah. It's like, you, you could take that one verse, and I know some of you out there, you're like, oh, we would love a whole message on that one verse. But you could take that one verse and just completely just unravel the gospel and the redemption of mankind and the whole story right there. Because you have Moses, who is the representation of the Jewish people for the law. All of the law. And by the way, it's this law that they've never been able to live under. None of them have ever been able to fully and adequately serve that law because it's impossible. And so there's just, it's, the law is actually a weight and a burden. But Moses is a representation of that. And then you have Elijah, who is the Jewish representation of the prophets. And so he's... he's He's the one that represents the, all the ones who have come before him, the mouthpieces of God that have said, repent, turn from your ways. They are the ones who come forward and they warn the people that you're not in covenant with the holy God. And so it's a great thing. But in, but in another light, he's the one that represents all the warnings and all the condemnation and all the things that they haven't been able to live under. 
And so they have before him, before them Moses who represents the law that they've never been able to keep. And Elijah who represents the prophets, the warnings that they've never been able to heed. But then there's Jesus who fulfills the law. He fulfills the prophecies. He brings in a new covenant. It's the redemption of man by faith. It's an amazing, amazing picture before them. And they don't even understand all of it yet. But they see it. They see it right there in front of them. And it says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're, they're talking amongst one another. Don't you wish you'd had that conversation on tape? Man. And then, I don't know if it's a big dose of courage or a big dose of stupidity, but Peter decides this is a good opportunity for me to say something. <laughs> I love Peter. Peter's always doing something just so stupid, and he's always putting himself out there. And because he does so, he's, he ends up being the cornerstone of the church. You know, it's kind of like those crazy fools who rush into hell with a water pistol. That's Peter, and that's the cornerstone of the faith. And so Peter says, Rabbi, we should build teepees, shelters, tents, whatever you want to call them. We should build them right here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And I can just see James and John off in the corner just like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> you know, like here he goes again. You know, maybe John gave one of those, kiss <clears throat> up. <clears throat> maybe John gave one of those, you know. Peter says, can we build shelters? And his, and his heart's pure, you know. It is. But it says, it says in verse 6, it says he doesn't really know what to say. He just has opened his mouth and is like, because he's scared. But even though he's having a hard time articulating what it is he's feeling, I know exactly what his sentiments are true, truly are trying to say. What Peter is saying is, Jesus, can we stay here? Can we just stay here for a little while? Is there, any, is there really any rush? Can, can we please just stick around? Can, there's no reason for us to go anywhere. We could, we could stay up here. I will build shelters. I will build shelters for each and every one of you so, so that your presence can just remain and, and we can stay and, and I can, we can continue just to sit and bask in your glory and to listen to the conversation. Do we really have to go anywhere? And I know. I know that some of you, some of you, you've experienced moments in, that, in your life like that. It's not by accident that they're on a mountain, and it's not by accident that those experiences are often call, called uh, spiritual mountaintop experiences. Because when you're on them, you don't want to come down. And for some of you, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know, I don't know what that may, how that may have played out in your life. For some of you, maybe it was a camp when you were a teenager and you went to a camp and just the Lord did something, the camp speaker said something, and yeah, you hadn't slept in about 80, you know, 80 hours or something, 84 hours, but you're just like, oh my gosh, and, and it wrecked your world. And so you're just sitting there and you're like, I don't want to go home, I want to stay here. I've never experienced anything like this. 
Some of you, perhaps it was a retreat. Men, maybe you're on a, a men's retreat and you were there and you're like, I've never been in an environment where men just freely talk to authentically and not only about their faith, but also about their struggles. And you're like, this, I'm, I'm caught up in this. I don't want to go anywhere. Or maybe it just happened to you on a Sunday morning. Everyone else around you, just it's a typical Sunday. But for you, you're falling apart. Because it's like the master of the universe is speaking directly toward you. And it's like he's just opened the roof of the building and he's just like there. And you're caught up in it. And you know that song, man, they're about to sing the fourth course of that song and it's about to be over. But man, you sure wish that you didn't have to go anywhere. I've had those moments in my life. If I can just be brutally honest, when I came back from India for about a week, I told my wife, I said, I hope no one dares asks me about my trip because it's a waste of my time to try to articulate it to them. It was a long time before I had the ability to say it was a good trip. And so maybe you've been there. Heck, maybe some of you, you've experienced it just recently. A mountaintop experience. And I think the reasons that we don't want to come off of those mountains too quickly is because, well, kind of three things. I think, first of all, I think that we're, we're scared. I think we're scared because we are coming back where, where we're walking back into the same life that we have. And we know that it's going to be difficult. And so we walk, we walk into a world where we have the same problems, the same parents, the same marriage, the same job, the same boss. God forbids for some of us, the same church. And we walk, some of you are laughing, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> so you walk back and you're just like, I, I, I'm afraid that if I get back in that world that this will all be over. And I'll just forget this. And it will be gone and I won't be able to recall it. And, and I'm just going to find myself doing the same things over and over again. And all these confessions that I've made to the Lord and all these commitments I've made to the Lord on the mountaintop, I'm afraid that they're just going to go to the wayside and I'm just going to become normal, boring, sinful, old, mediocre me again. Sometimes we don't want to leave the, top, the mountaintop because we're confused. And we're just like, I, I don't know how to fully process what it is I've experienced. And you're, so you're, you're sitting there and you're trying to figure this thing out and you're trying to think, what is it that God's trying to show me? What is it that God's trying to say to me? And in the midst of all that, you realize that your time is coming to a close and you have to go. And you're like, no, I haven't figured this thing out yet. And then sometimes it's just, you're just frustrated. You're frustrated that you have to go back. You're frustrated that all these other things are going to take your time and take your attentions. You're frustrated, like I said, that you can't share that with anybody because they're not going to understand. And so you just go back into a regular old life and you just walk around just frustrated that it can't be like that all the time. And so you think it'd be really nice to build a shelter here. It'd be really nice just to stay here. God, do we have to go anywhere? And this, 
This is the part of the message where a pastor has to be real and honest even though they don't want to tell you the truth. No, you can't. Not just no, you can't, but you're not supposed to. God didn't design you to be on a mountaintop. God didn't save you and redeem you to be on a mountaintop. God didn't bring His church into this world to stay on a mountaintop. And I'm telling you, I've been a minister for a long time. I know look, I know I look like I'm like 15 or 16, but hear me out. <laughs> My wife's in the back. She's like, you're such an idiot. <laughs> I've been in ministry for a while. And I'm telling you, the longer that I'm in ministry, the more that I see the divide between the lost and the church get wider and wider and wider and wider. And it's like we tell people that there's good news, but we won't walk down the mountain to meet them where they are. We expect them to climb up. We expect them to get the right footwear on, watch out for cobras, make sure you don't slip and fall, and make your way up here, because when you get up here, it's going to be amazing. And so we just, we stay on the mountain. And we don't build just like shelters on the mountain, guys. I'm telling you, if you looked around, we build monuments on the mountaintops. And we expect that somehow the rest of the world are just going to find their way up there. And it's not just me saying this. Because at the end of the day, Peter's asked for shelters on a mountaintop. But at the end of the day, four men went up a mountain and four men came down. There were no shelters built that day. And at the end of my experience on Prayer Mountain, at the end of that day, the same 30 and 40 people who worshiped the Lord together came back down the mountain. And I will tell you this. There is a world that is longing for, dying for, the church to get off the mountain. They are longing for you to not just make your way back into the valley, but run to the valley. Run into the valley. And you take what it is that God did for you on the mountaintop. You take whatever it is you experience, and that becomes your story. That becomes your song. That becomes your testimony. And so you run into the valley and you take that with you. And in those moments when life gets hard and difficult, because if a preacher doesn't tell you that Christian life is hard, he's lying to you. When your life gets hard and difficult and struggle comes and it's hard to keep your faith, it's hard to remain strong, you take that and you remember it and you say, but God is good. And God is amazing and God is faithful and God provides and God is sovereign because I've been to the mountaintop and it will get me through this valley. And so you take the mountain to the valley. And you take the word to the valley. It says at the tail end of this passage, and we didn't read this part, but it says this. It says in verse 15, And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet Him. I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to have a moment, and then I'll come back up and share just real briefly. 
about my Baltimore story, but here's the thing. If Jesus had stayed on the mountain, there'd have been no cross. If Jesus had stayed on the mountain, there'd have been no salvation. There'd be no hope. If Jesus had stayed on the mountain, there'd be no resurrection. Our story that we carry, gone. It is only because Jesus was faithful to go to the valley that you're sitting here. And so I wonder today, Who is it in your life that's waiting to be amazed? Who are the people in your circle that are waiting to be met with wonder in the valley? Waiting to hear the good news of the gospel that has saved you. And so today we're going to take just a minute. Um, I think there's going to be some some music. Um, I know that I'm going to be up here, but I know that there uh, there may be others that people would be more trusting to be able to pray with because I'm a an outsider, so to speak. Um, but I just encourage you to respond in whichever way that you feel led to. Perhaps for some of you, you have known Jesus your whole life in His humanity, but you've never encountered Jesus in His glory. And so I invite you this morning to come to experience the one who came off the mountain and died on the cross as an atonement for your sins so that you might have life. Come and experience that Jesus today. And then perhaps for some of you, you just need to maybe even right where you are, you just need to pray and you need to, you need to ask God, forgive me because I, am not, I do not share my faith. I am not vocal. I am not out in the valley. And so maybe that's the decision you need to make. That's the response you need to have. But in whichever way you need to respond right now as, as, we, as we sing, I think that's what we're going to do. Um, as we sing, please respond in whichever way you feel you need to. I am supposed to come up now, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I... I We've had the message. I'm not going to take much more of your time, but I do want to share with you a little bit about what uh, God has been doing in, in my life, in the life of my family, um, life of our church. Uh, about, um, I guess, maybe six years ago uh, or so, there was a young man that came up through uh, Allen Memorial Student Ministry by the name of Adam Mutasib. He, um, Some of you might know Adam. He was a nominal Christian. He would tell you that he that really he uh, was probably not a Christian at all, although he believed in the Lord and had confessed at one time his faith in the Lord. But uh, in, in the midst of just our time together, in the midst of being a part of our group, he surrendered to Christ in, in a very powerful way, like one of those like like crazy radical conversions. Uh, and uh, immediately, immediately the, the, the seeds of ministry were planted in this young man, and he he, uh, he began to ask for opportunities in our group to be able to share, uh, I, I, and I, I allowed him every opportunity, and he began to do some preaching. He began to go to other churches and share. He began uh, a ministry on the campus of SU, 
uh, called 121 Ministries, uh, and uh, I, I know Pastor Keith and myself were um, very much a part of that, trying to help bring some supervision to that and to, uh, to allow ourselves to come and to speak with them. Uh, but in the course of that, God began to do a mighty work uh, in Adam. Uh, Adam thought that maybe God was calling him to, uh, to go to seminary. Uh, but he decided to take a position at Oak Ridge uh, uh, Baptist Church. He was there for a little while. Perhaps maybe some of you guys know him from there. He was there for about a year, and then he just realized that, uh, that I'm kind of running from what God's called me to do. I'm supposed to go to seminary. I'm supposed to follow and pursue this because God's calling me to be a pastor. That was about four years ago, uh, and in the, over the course of those four years, I know because Adam and I are very, very close and, and have a strong bond that... Uh, that he felt God would be calling him to plant a church. I also knew that God was calling him to plant a church in Baltimore, and I was very uh, I rejoiced with him. I was, very, I was very prayerful for him, and I thought it was an amazing thing for he and his wife, for he and his wife. This, yeah, let me tell you about my valley. So, uh, so Adam and Sherry came to visit with my wife and I. Uh, we had pie, or as we down south like to call, we had pie. And uh, we had pie and coffee. And uh, at the end of it, he said, hey, I want to talk to you guys about something. And I knew where this was going. I was like, you can't trick me. Uh, my, wife, my wife says that she was completely blindsided. But he said, I would really, really like for you guys to, to prayerfully consider coming to Baltimore with us and planting this church alongside of me and co-pastoring this church with me. And, uh, and Adam had said those things before, kind of like, hey, you should come with us. But this was the first time, like, he just sat across from me, kind of like man to man, minister to minister, and said, would you consider this? And I said, because I love you, because I respect you, because we're brothers in Christ, I'm not going to tell you no right now. I'm going to pray about that. Don't ever say you're going to pray about something like that. Not with that attitude. Um, so the next day, my wife and I, and I began to have multiple conversations uh, about the trip. And um, that first conversation was very interesting because instead of walking away with two people saying no, we walked away with, well, here are some hurdles that would keep us from going, but I see it as something that God could totally do. We began to talk more and pray about it more, and all of a sudden, God began to remove, not only remove hurdles, but God began to confirm and change our hearts and give us a burden for Baltimore that we didn't have before. Uh, God began to, to move and to do things to the point to where uh, about a month later we were telling Adam, like, we are 99% on board with this. And he's like, 99%? And we're like, we're coming. <laughs> and so last November, uh, I shared with my church that I'd be stepping down as the pastor to students and millennials at the church, and I'd be moving forward to the church plant in Baltimore. Uh, it's going to be this this year. It's going to be in June because Adam is finishing up his senior year at the seminary, so we're waiting for that. Uh, and then uh, at the beginning of July, we'll be moving to Baltimore. We're going to be moving into the Canton area. So if you're familiar with Baltimore, Canton is the most, it's only a half square mile, but in that half square mile is 13,000 people. Most of them, the median age is around 25, 26 most of them are single. Most of them have their first full-time job, career job, and most of them are looking to get married at some point. Uh, so we kind of figure that's not only a great place to catch somebody, but it's some place that we kind of had, had some success with in terms of ministry in the past. 
so that's where we're headed. Uh, these kids have everything they want. It's, it's not one of those pictures uh, that you see on the TV of Baltimore. It's not like this impoverished area. This is an up-and-coming, trendy area of Baltimore, which in some ways uh, I kind of side with Mother Teresa, which means that they are even more lost because it's hard to notice that you need Jesus when you have everything that you possibly could want. Uh, so we're going to minister to them, but I will tell you this. Um, uh, right above Canton is an area called Patterson Park, and above that is North Patterson in Baltimore. And if you're familiar with Baltimore, that's one of the most drug-ridden, most impoverished, most uh, dangerous places in Baltimore to live. And literally, the thing that divides this place in Baltimore with the fastest-growing millennial place in Baltimore is a park. Is a park. So our desire is to move in uh, to our area um, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, begin to redeem people, but not just redeem people, but redeem a hurting and lost city. Um, not because we're the saviors of the world, but we do know the Savior. And we want to point people to Him. And we want to find a way to be able to bridge the park. And so we are going to urge our people to be ministers, to look at themselves as missionaries. And their, and their role is just to do ordinary, everyday things with gospel intentionality so that we might win some. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. If you want some more information about it, if you'd like to know how you might be able to partner with us, um, I mean, same thing you probably have heard a hundred times. We need your prayers, we need people, and we need money. So, um, so if you have any questions or if you need, if you want to know more about how you might be able to partner with us, uh, come see me afterwards or get my information. I'd love to talk with you more about it. Uh, we have about 20 people right now who have said 100% we're coming with you. They're moving to Baltimore with us from all over the nation. Uh, so perhaps the way that God is wanting you to partner is to run into my valley with me. And if that's the case, I very much look forward to talking to you. So thank you guys for letting me be with you today. I hope you have a blessed day. Um, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this, uh, for this day. Not, not, Lord, because of uh, that it's anything more than just a normal Sunday, I guess, but that we have the opportunity to come and then we have the opportunity to worship and adore you, God, and we have the opportunity to examine your word, Father, and that's just, that's enough for me, God, and so I praise you for that. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for their pastor. Lord, I pray that you continue just to lead them and bless them and guide them and direct them, God. I pray that you would give them a sincere just uh, burden, Lord, for the community that they now find themselves in, God, and just uh, and for the communities that each and every one of these individuals find themselves in on a daily basis, Lord. I pray that you would use us, God, that you would use us to bring the gospel to the world, Lord. Allow us to be your church, God. Give us the passion and the desire and the boldness to be your church. Uh, God, I pray that, uh, whether that's Salisbury or whether that's Baltimore, to the ends of the earth, Lord, use us. And God, we pray that you would go, you would advance in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.